0: Welcome to the second episode of Views 2018 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is a Canadian who greets anyone he meets with a what the fuck happened? Logan Saunders.
1: Good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon. This is much more our sort of episode, I would say.
1: It's much easier to talk about three challenges than just one really long challenge.
0: Yeah, I must admit, I've edited the premiere now, I must admit when we recorded the premiere, I'm like, I don't think we are kind of vibing this season as much as I thought we were. And then I watched this episode earlier today and I'm like, yeah, this is the Georgia I remember. This is like peak Georgia and it it rattles on from here.
1: I bet you though it'd be a different story if we were watching this if we were watching this live. I think we'd be talking about the first episode a lot more. Plus we have 10 people to speculate on being the mole. Here, we already know who the mole is, so that's a lot of material to not be able to discuss.
0: It is the one downside of doing a season that we've both actually seen is the fact that we can't really go, oh, but I think that this was really suspicious without kind of tipping our hands and going, yeah, this is suspicious, keep an eye on this. Yeah. (laughs) This is the one person you need to watch. (laughs) So previously, 10 new celebrities entered the game, but unbeknown to them, they were separated over five different countries. Olche and Ruben found 2,000 euros for the pots as they, along with Stina and Emilio and Bella and Simona, saved themselves from execution. In the end, Ron scored the lowest and was left behind as the other nine all flew to Georgia to begin the game for real, albeit already starting with 3,000 euros of fines from the pots. And we actually get our, our first bit of art preamble for the, uh, for the season. Not that I wrote any of it down.
1: Yeah, I usually ignore the preamble by the host, too, at the start of each episode. I mean, after, especially when this is Vidim 2018, I don't know how much more creative you can get with the preamble.
0: Now, I usually write them down, and I usually pay a lot more attention, but all I was thinking was, it is a breath of fresh air to see Art hosting this show again. (laughs) I know that we try not to bitch about Rick too much, but... Art is such a better host than Rick, especially in this episode. He really gets involved in all three challenges, and seems to actually enjoy being there, whereas Rick just seems a little bit miserable.
1: Yeah, granted, Rick hasn't had the best seasons to host.
0: He hasn't, but it always feels like Art is at least having fun, even in his worst seasons. Art is always kind of in the game and having at least a little bit of fun with these people, whereas Rick is kind of a bit distant.
1: Yeah, here, especially in the market challenge at the end, he gets very involved, or (laughs) when they do the judging for the gravel challenge, and he physically gets in his car and sees how far he can drive along the cleared stretch before he has to stop his car.
0: That's what I mean. I couldn't imagine Rick during the gravel challenge, for example, and actually being the determining factor. It just doesn't seem like a very Rick thing to me.
1: So are we going to talk about Jean-Marc now and get it out (laughs) of the way, or are we just going to wait to address the elephant in the room until later.
0: Well, the slight irony is, last episode I compared you to him with the whole lack of smartphone thing, and this episode I can compare you to him with the lack of sleep thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was thinking that last night too.
0: (laughs) Albeit, you do have at least a little bit more sleep than Jean-Marc did, in this episode at least. Should we we just get the Jean-Marc out of the way now? Jean-Marc is, I would say... The oddest character ever in Vidum history, or at least a contender for it, because he's strange anyway at the best of times. He seems incredibly reserved and not like he's enjoying himself very much. And then we get the weird left field kind of insomnia storyline.
1: Yeah, but the insomnia thing we don't find out until the final seconds. Like, because this is a bit... Uh, how it plays out in the episode is a bit different from how I remembered. Because all, all I remember was, oh yeah, he kept complaining about having major insomnia. But we don't find that out until after the execution is over. He's like, by the way, I'm in the Netherlands and I wasn't sleeping the whole time. I'm thinking, well, where, where did that come from? <laughs> and And he has very, very few confessionals this whole episode. I think he gets... One about the gravel task, and then one after Arch announces he's quit.
0: Yeah, the best thing is, there is a very early Jean-Marc confessional in this episode where he's like, I'm really enjoying myself on Venom. this is the best thing ever, and it's like, by the end of the episode, maybe not so much.
1: Is that when he was talking about the, was that during the market challenge?
0: Uh, No, so it was before the market challenge. It was right before the market challenge. It's the very last thing we see before the market challenge.
1: Yeah, let's just get the Jean Mark stuff out of the way now, then, because I was trying to pay attention to how he behaves in each challenge. In the market challenge, it's tough to notice Jean Mark too much, but there was a lot of chaos, and he doesn't really get involved with much of it. He just seems to go with the flow, and seems he seems almost overwhelmed by how. By how much yelling there is on the walkie-talkie, scrambling to hand out the pictures, have the right notes, everyone is just all over the place in that market. So I don't know if that's the start of it, that he was just really frustrated with how that challenge went, and just just wasn't able to get get a good understanding of how to push himself and assert himself into the situation.
0: I get the impression that Vedum was different than how he expected I get the impression he was not expecting to be nearly as stressed or paranoid as he actually was.
1: Yeah, that it wasn't going to be as just everything gets thrown at you, lots of different details, lots of information, and you got to make the most of it.
0: Yeah, because I think it's a badge of honour if you get the call from the Venom producers saying, do you fancy doing the next season? Even if you don't necessarily watch the show, and I don't think he watches the show or watched the show at the time. I think he was aware that it was a cultural institution. I think he was aware of the show and how proud you should be if you get a phone call for it. I don't think he'd ever seen the show and I don't think he knew what he was getting himself into.
1: Or like he's or he has casually watched it with friends or he's he has casually watched it himself but didn't really think about all of the subtleties and what it would really be like to be on Vidim.
0: Yeah, because he was not suited at all to this show. Let's be honest; he's the only person, at least that I'm aware of, who's ever quit due to insomnia.
1: Has he been the only one to ever quit? Period.
0: No, no. There's definitely been some some medical quits. Off the top of my head, obviously Janine with the compressed spine, and then there was uh, Manuel in Japan as well.
1: Yeah, he. But he got really sick, though. He was. He was. He was physically ill, if I recall correctly.
0: Yeah, he wasn't technically medevac, though. He made the choice to leave the game himself. Rather than Janine, who was, you know, pulled off on a stretcher.
1: Pulled or pushed out of the game, depending on how you view her spine. Yeah. But this is the first quid of just not, like...
0: Of just not being able to cope.
1: If, yeah, of just being like, this is too much for me. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm not enjoying myself anymore.
0: Yeah. I think he's a very tragic figure. I, I have a lot of sympathy for him because I completely understand that it would be very overwhelming, especially if you have that start where, realistically, you could be in a head-to-head elimination against one other person and that's the person you've spent the rest of the day with. And then he goes straight into the stress of that and the paranoia straight away and going, how did I survive? How many people were there actually who needed to survive? I don't know this. Ah, Then he flies immediately to Georgia and has two pretty stressful challenges. And there was probably the betrayal of Ron, which we'll get to, that was played on his mind a little bit. I don't think he knew how to cope with that. And to kind of com- compartmentalise the the game. And it's sad. Because as a fan, obviously, we're, we're those obnoxious people going, How could you cast such an arsehole? He, he took someone else's spot. Urgh, why couldn't I get cast? But I have a little bit of sympathy for him, just going yeah, but he was he just wasn't prepared for the show. He just didn't know what he was getting himself into.
1: Yeah, you have to have sympathy for the guy, because he was clearly way in over his head, and there was no way for him to know that.
0: No, and it's better that he quits after two episodes than gets to episode seven or whatever and goes, I can't cope anymore, I'm off, bye.
1: Yeah, and he's like he's shaking, or gets has has bigger outbursts. Because in the opera challenge, I don't know what you observed of his behavior, Michael, but during the opera challenge, he seemed very quiet and just followed everyone else's lead. You could see him like po- pointing things out, but I don't recall him ever making a decision himself.
0: I think it was the same in the market challenge. I don't think we heard him speak in the market challenge.
1: He just said, oh, I have to go here, I have to go here. Okay, I guess I'll do that. This is really overwhelming. And then, oh, by the way. Here's the first person executed. Sit next to him and you'll get crucial information for the quiz. Oh no, no, I'm letting this guy not have a chance to be in the game. I feel terrible about this. And then I think the third challenge doesn't happen until the following day, right? Well, I guess the theater was at night and the other one was during the day. So I guess it had to be the following day. And then, and then we get to the third challenge. And I forgot about this detail completely that he just... He has a meltdown, really, before they start the gravel challenge, and he disappears. We do not see him sitting from the sidelines in the gravel challenge, so all signs point to him walking off the set in the middle of the strategy session for the gravel challenge.
0: Yeah, I mean, I said this to you when we were discussing this episode a little bit on chat earlier. I I suspect there was a little bit more to this than what we saw in terms of him bailing. It would be very interesting to see if there was any more, obviously. It would have come out in the last three years if, if there was. But something about Jean-Marc's quit has always kind of sat weirdly with me ever since I first saw this episode. Because I'm going, yeah, but there's more that we've not been told here. And you can tell there's a bit more
1: his confessional during the gravel task does not line up with what we see play out on screen because during the confessional he said, Oh, I didn't know what right from left was or what up from down was. I just don't have a good sense of direction. That's not my thing. He acted as if the, the gravel challenge was just not as forte and he just wasn't interested in participating in that. Meanwhile, on screen, we see him just, completely yelled back at the group saying, I don't understand any of this. I am sitting myself out of this challenge. I don't want any part of this. And no one reacts to him. No one says, oh, Sean Mark, are you okay? Is everything fine? They all just get really quiet. He disappears, and then suddenly everyone is in position in the tractors.
0: I think it definitely says something that we can go from someone at the start of the episode, literally the day before they quit, going, I'm having so much fun, this is the best thing ever. And then by the next day, they're going, yeah, this isn't for me, I'm off now, bye.
1: There's some gap that wasn't filled, no pun intended, with the gravel there, but...
0: (laughs) The other element of this is the fact that this is a really good episode as well, despite Jean-Marc kind of having a really weird storyline. All three of these challenges are really fun, and really fun for us to talk about.
1: Yeah, I wonder how much fun that third challenge was for the contestants when you you go from, oh, man, one of our castmates just had this huge, I'm going to guess one of the biggest, would it be the one, because there's other meltdowns we see where contestants just get angry, but the other players don't know if it's part of the ploy of being the mole or or just passion. With John Mark, it was just an outright meltdown, walks away, and we never see him again. This is his final scene is before the gravel challenge. We go through the gravel challenge. We don't see him like we don't see him cheering his team on from the bench. That was bizarre to me. I thought, oh, man, maybe he's just going to sit on the bench and cheer everybody on for an hour and a half. No, he's not there at all. And everyone's forced to take the quiz. Everyone's just taking the quiz as normal as if there's nothing wrong going on. And then we get to the execution, there's an empty chair, and Art says, By the way, Jean-Marc has quit, he didn't say goodbye to any of you, he's already back in the Netherlands.
0: The brilliant thing about this is the fact we're already basically 30% of the way through the executions in this season, and Art has not given anyone a red screen yet. We've had two executions, and both of them have been completely independent of Art. Which is hilarious. I
1: find it odd they chose to have the execution setting, though. They set up, have the empty chair for Jean-Marc, and Art even brings his laptop, too. And the contestants don't have any reaction to it. They don't say, oh, my God, there's an empty chair. Jean-Marc isn't here. What happened to him? Is there a twist? Is he gone? What, what's happening? They're all completely silent, stone-faced. And Art says, Yep, yeah. he quit. And no one has a reaction to it. There isn't a whole montage for him, they don't say, oh man, it's a real bummer he's gone. It's just, we cut to Sean Mark back in the Netherlands saying, by the way, I'm already back home, Uh, I didn't sleep for three days, or four days, Uh, Venom was fun, I have no fucking clue who the mole is, good luck to everybody.
0: Yeah, it was just handled really weirdly.
1: And it doesn't seem like he befriended anybody during those two episodes. I don't know if that was part of it too, cuz we don't see him getting involved in any alliances and no one react no one says no one seems to support him during this episode. He's just another person for people to direct around in all three challenges.
0: He seemed very isolated.
1: Yeah, so I feel like there had he had to have exhibited other types of behaviour that we didn't see.
0: Yeah, there's definitely something missing from him. Him just disappearing on the scene here.
1: Yeah, and I can't think of a time on Vidim where somebody doesn't have any friends within the t- first two episodes. Because you think at least he would have a f- be friends with Yan because he spent the whole first day with only him. But that doesn't happen. You don't see him and Yan just casually chatting throughout the episode. It's just Sean Mark's part of the group. Sean Mark's part of the group. Sean Mark gets angry at the group. In fact, in, in the third challenge, it's Yan is the person he is fighting with. You think if there's anybody who he's going to be friendly towards, it's going to be Yan. But no, he's Yan was appointed the leader of the third challenge, and that's who he gets into the big confrontation with and walks off. Do you think he quit right when he said, I'm not doing this challenge?
0: I think what happened is he stormed off, Jan kept doing the team briefing or whatever he was as team leader, and meanwhile Jean-Marc was talking to the producers and going, fuck this shit, I'm out, basically.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I hope I hope he's doing... I remember at the reunion, Arch makes one slight joke about him, and Jean-Marc seems much happier, so maybe it was just four days of zero minutes of sleep and becoming a zombie and having just not having any way to check his own emotions or or really preserve his own sanity by that point
0: (laughs) yeah for the season I think it's for the best that Jean-Marc went home because I love a lot of the final eight I'll be honest of this season I'm gonna get into this at the end but in the same way that I said this about Czechia A lot of the dead weight of the season goes very early this season. And you're left with some very, very fun people. In that respect, I'm very glad Jean-Marc went home early. I'm also glad that he didn't stick around just out of necessity because he could have then taken the spot of some more fun people. Personally, I don't think they should have cast him at all because it's pretty obvious that he's not cut out for, for being in an intense show. He very much seems like he's a very quiet presence, quite a loner, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, as long as you can own it. But it seemed like he was always very intimidated around strangers and around big groups and stuff, and that's not the sort of people you want to cast on a show like The Malt.
1: I would add being intimidated by the challenges.
0: Yeah, even before you get into the challenges, though, it always seemed like he was a little bit intimidated by the personalities, and this is a very loud cast. Mainly Olche, let's be honest, I yeah, love I Olche so much. <laughs> I, I said this to Bindles before we started uh, recording today, this is the episode where you just go, where did they find Olche?" but holy shit, she's amazing all through this episode. Obviously, it's quite a loud group of people, this. So it would be very intimidating to just walk straight into that, especially after having kind of the psychological terror of the previous day. But I think in any group, he would be intimidated by the presences. And I think he, because he's an illustrator and stuff, he probably works on his own a lot of the day, and he's just not used to constantly being around people.
1: That's a good point. I forgot he was an illustrator. So that means he's in the studio by himself, probably, he could be by himself in a studio, his own little private studio, like six hours a day or more.
0: You'd assume so, and I mean there's absolutely no criticism from me in this. We are still recording this when the UK is in lockdown, and a lot of people have been kind of very introspective over the past year and going, I am very extroverted and this is not fun for me. So I completely sympathise with him being forced into this group where he's not necessarily comfortable. I just think the onus is probably on the producers to go, do we really want to cast this sort of person? He seems really nice and stuff, but is it going to work with the group? And I think he is probably the the poster boy for don't cast really quiet, introverted people again, because you never see anyone after this season, anything like him.
1: Funny thing is, I was, I was tracking down the social media accounts for everybody, and I don't think I found him on social media. I found one that said it was his official account, but there's only nine posts on it total, and it was set to private.
0: He doesn't own a smartphone, Zondas.
1: He still doesn't, after all. So that's what I mean. Like, this is a guy who's clearly, clearly by himself quite a bit, I think, and doesn't engage too much socially. And this is, especially at the start of the season, I could see him being fine with, oh... It's just me and Yan in this one challenge, it's just the two of us. And then within 36 hours, being in a group of nine people doing these very socially driven challenges was like, nope, that's it for me.
0: Also, if anyone on their Reality TV Warriors bingo card had 15 minutes of discussing Jean-Marc, tick it off now, because I don't think anyone would have guessed that one. Of all the characters in this season we're going to spend 15 minutes talking about, I would not have put money on Jean-Marc.
1: Well, I'm I'm, I'm just fascinated because we haven't really seen we've never seen a quit like this on The Mole where it's just a, the guy, where somebody can't physically cope with the elements of The Mole and because people always joke about with The Mole saying, oh well it's not really tough and they're not really roughing it because every day they go to a five-star hotel for dinner, well 90% of the time it's not like they're they're Losing weight and withering away. But for Jean-Marc, this was probably his nightmare, was being in a big group of people, doing these very chaotic and complex challenges, and having to grasp all of that, and try, and try to figure out who the mole is amongst all of these people.
0: Yeah, I, I think there is a very valuable lesson to be learnt from casting Jean-Marc, and it's... You can cast an introvert, But they need to be comfortable enough, even as an introvert, to be around a big group of people and be in these more chaotic, stressful situations. Because I think it just boils down to the fact that even if he didn't have insomnia, I don't think he would have coped long term. I don't think he would have lasted many more rounds even without the insomnia just because he wouldn't have been comfortable and he wasn't comfortable. And it was blatantly obvious in pretty much every scene he was in, in this episode. And maybe a little bit in the premiere, you can kind of see the groundwork in the premiere of him definitely deferring to Jan a lot of the time. But you really see it in this episode where he just fades into the background and you just forget he's there, even even when he's missing.
1: It's just very, very um, odd, yeah. And I can't really blame production too much because they've never had a situation like this and this was season 18. This is season 18 for them. So the fact that now we've had 22 seasons of Vidim, and this is the only time this has ever happened where somebody just couldn't mentally cope with the game and took himself out of the game.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of on the producers to go, to sit him down and go, are you sure you're going to be comfortable with this? And make sure that he is he is the right fit for this show. But I think it's blatantly obvious they did the right thing by him in the end. I really wouldn't be surprised if... He went back to the production office or whatever it was whilst they were doing the, the digger challenge and and just went, I'm not sure I can cope. And someone sat him down and went, Well, it's completely your call. Do you wanna stay or do you wanna go? And I, I think they probably gave him the decision, but maybe they pushed him towards do the right thing for yourself here.
1: Yeah, they think think about this. You're already you just yelled at yeah in front of a big group of people. On day four, you have 16 more days of this or more. Now to the fun part. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, the episode title is Quick Change. There is a whole loss of scenery shots to begin our actual time in Georgia with. And that is another change from kind of, I hate to say modern day Vidham because it's only what, three years, but you can definitely sell the production difference between art seasons and and Ricks in this. There is so much like scenery porn of Georgia in the first five minutes of this episode.
1: A lot more of an artistic approach.
0: Yeah, appropriately. The team actually unites on day two. The existing six think that the other three might be part of the next challenge and come at them with laser guns or paintball guns, which, to be fair, they probably would if it was done now. Alche is already trying to work out who paid €5,000 from the pots. Emilio and Stina are very non-committal about admitting how many times they actually called Art's. And Ruben has one of the quotes of the episode when he essentially greets uh, Jan when he comes through the door with, Hey man, nice to see you, but what the fuck happened? (laughs) I like how this turns into a big interrogation. Yeah, I will say now, when I originally watched this season, Ruben wasn't my favourite. I don't hate him or anything. I just think he's not necessarily the most fun character of the season. I already love him a lot more than I did, just from the first five minutes of this episode. He is fun.
1: <laughs> I like how Jan just fires back saying, I'm getting the third degree here. I'm not the enemy.
0: But he does admit how many times they called Art, which is a real surprise.
1: Well, Olche was, re- like, this This breakfast was more of an interrogation by Olche. Olce really wanted to pressure people into admitting uh, how many times they called Art, otherwise she was going to make things miserable for them.
0: Like, we spent 15 to 20 minutes talking about Jean Marc. We're going to be spending a lot of time talking about Olche because I'll put it out there now. Olche is probably my favourite Vidim contestant ever. <laughs> she is so unashamedly bossy this season, and it is delightful. They have never cast anyone like Olche before, and they will never cast anyone like Olche again because she is very unique.
1: I like how with Olch and Rubin, since they were the only pair to find the €2,000, Euros, they're the two that lead the charge on grilling every single person in the
0: game. Oh, definitely.
1: Although they probably feel bad about grilling Jean-Marc in retrospect.
0: They probably do, but they then grill Luce worse.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, I wrote, the, I wrote this in here, where Luce gets asked a lot of questions. And even Luce gets overwhelmed saying, How many questions are there going to be for me? (laughs) 20?
0: I've already passed one of those tests.
1: Yeah, I just did a 20 question quiz. Now I have another by Olche? Is there going to be an execution run by Olche in the next half an hour?
0: Believe me, if Olche could run an execution on this show, Olche would run an execution on this show. She'll probably replace Rick. Honestly, I would love Olche to, to take over from Rick. I think Olche would be a brilliant choice. She is just the right side of domineering, I think, to actually make it work. And in our first sign that maybe Jean-Marc is not cut out for this game, when trying to relay the clues that they actually received, he mixes up horses with the verb to mate. And he says in Confessional that he's very excited, not just to win or be molar candidate, just to be part of the show. Obviously, spoilers, his opinion is going to change on the show. I love that they set him up with that confessional. It's the one thing we actually see him say in the entire episode before he quits. And it's just like, yeah, I'm having such a fun time.
1: <laughs> this is the best thing ever. 24 hours later, I hate this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the heavens open just before they get to Navi Lugi Market, where Art will meet them for the first challenge of the episode. It's like Belgy Germany's opening all over again with Bucketing Rain. Yep. And he's in front of a stall with 100 spaces covered with minus 20 euro notes. He gives them a 1000 euro note and says that they have to swap them over the market for enough notes that will cover all of the minus money on his board. They will earn any money that is covering a red note minus the value of any red notes. They get a photo of the stall holder who trades the money with them. They've got 30 minutes to make all of their trades.
1: And chaos ensues throughout the entire marketplace. No one is accounted for, money isn't accounted for, pictures aren't accounted for. I swear they talk to each of the marked stalls at least twice. They either don't trade in enough, or they don't retrieve enough.
0: Who would have thought that a challenge like this, in a market where none of them speak the language, and nobody's going to help them in English, and you have walkie-talkies, and you have Olshay running the entire thing. Who would have thought that was going to go wrong?
1: I don't know, It's a complete mystery.
0: So Jan says to the group that they have only 30 minutes and should split up to cover more ground. They agree to meet up by Arts if they find anything. And the teams are Ruben, Luce and Simone, Jan, Olshay and Steiner, and Emilio, Bella and Jean-Marc. Jan, Stina, and Alche find the first woman. She swaps their 1,000 euro notes for two 500 euro ones and a new photo of another stall holder. Ruben's team meet them by the stall. Alche had only taken one of the two notes from the stall holder. Classic Alche.
1: <laughs>
0: Bella calls them back to regroup, but they ignore her on the walkie talkies. Alche says she wants control of the money. She's seen the photo, so knows what to find. I love Alche in this challenge. This is. This is just absolute peak Olche, I think, and it's only challenge two.
1: Well, at one point they find towards the end, I think they find the last person at the Peanuts. No, the second to last person at the Peanuts, and they're like, Where's the money? Olce has the money and they have to they waste five minutes just trying to find Olche to get her over to where the peanuts guy was.
0: I haven't got the stats to hand, but I think Olche was the number one suspect this week on bothersvar
1: Well she she really slowed down this challenge.
0: I am going to have to check it to make sure, but I have a feeling she was number one suspect in uh, in week two. They then swap with the man for four 250 euro notes and a new photo. And rather than returning to art, they just describe the photo over the walkie-talkie, because that's always a good idea.
1: <laughs> with three people trying to describe the, the photo at the same time.
0: It's almost like this challenge is built for people to not succeed.
1: I think other groups would have succeeded with this, just not this group.
0: Yeah, these people are very chaotic, for want of a better term. It's
1: like Britney Spears and Kevin Federline.
0: Chaotic is definitely thrown around a lot on Vidim, but this challenge is, is chaotic.
1: Well, it's nine people all screaming their way through a marketplace, and the funny thing is there's only two items they have to keep track of, a picture and whatever notes they have in their possession. And there was, and I like how when Simone's in control of the walkie-talkie, she does not follow the etter-discipline model. There is so much superfluous information that she gives out that has nothing to do with anything.
0: I am so glad that you have now experienced even a tiny bit of Ellie Loost and her being the queen of etter-discipline because you can get these references so much more now. I think I said this to you at the time when when I was trying to describe Ellie to you, but literally every season after Ellie was on, at least one person would say the word Eta Discipline, and usually invoke her name at the same time. She's probably the most referenced candidate in mole history now. All because of one little word, Eta Discipline. (laughs) (laughs) So they eventually return to art to show the photo to each other, Olshay is not amused and when they return, Emilio works out that actually it's not a man, it's a woman, and she's just over there. (laughs) The woman swaps the four 250 euro notes for another photo and smaller notes, and then they swap again three or four times. Ruben's team finds the right guy, but they don't have the money, he's the peanut vendor, probably because Alte has it, let's be honest. Simona is not good at her eta discipline, and Luce is not amused making our banner this week. Because... I had forgotten how much I really enjoy Lucy's facial expressions.
1: She has a lot of them in this episode.
0: She is really good in this episode, and she has no time for anyone's shit. <laughs> and also, weird thing I did notice that they didn't draw attention to in the episode. As he's passing some of the produce, I think it might have been ginger or garlic or something, it looked very similar to them. Jean-Marc just randomly strokes it.
1: Yeah, I noticed that too. I didn't write down my notes, but He just randomly touches somebody else's produce. He doesn't buy it. I thought he was going to grab some and eat it. I'm thinking, that's not allowed, man. And Georgia is not exactly an economic powerhouse.
0: (laughs) I did rewind it just to make sure that I I wasn't dreaming that he did. He stroked the ginger. And I'm pretty sure he did stroke the ginger as he was walking through the market.
1: Yeah, he definitely did. Because I was thinking, that's why is he doing that? Is he just wanting to break from the challenge for a second?
0: I don't know. It's just weird. And it, it kind of goes to the undermining of Jean-Marc edit that we get in this episode. I don't think producers really cared that he went home in a quip. But they do stuff like having that confessional in there where he's like, yay, this is the best thing I've ever done. And then by the end of the episode just going, this is the worst thing I have ever done.
1: <laughs>
0: you have the stroke in the ginger, you have him just basically being under-edited. Like, if we were doing edgic for this this episode, I think he would probably be a, a UTR1 in this episode. You basically see nothing of him.
1: Yeah, this is the last thing we see of him until his outburst is him randomly touching ginger.
0: And if you're gonna touch ginger, you need to at least pay for it first.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, stroking the ginger sounds like a euphemism.
0: So they are told to go back to Art and then to the walnut guy. They sort their 20, 50 euro notes for 50, 20 ones. With six minutes left, they need to find a woman with a leopard print top. The woman does not move nearly quickly enough for Alche.
1: None of them do. None of the people that worked at the stalls were moving particularly fast, and they were grinning. They were they were grinning the whole time. They were handing out the photo, fo- the photo, and the notes, as if they just wanted a toy with these Dutch people.
0: I think literally anyone other than Alche would have taken that better than Alche did. Alche is so delightfully impatient in this challenge. I mean, we have a few more great Olshay moments coming fairly soon. But this is really the start of her being the character of the season. And it is a crime they didn't bring her back for Renaissance. I don't know whether she would have been as good in Renaissance. It might have been a bit of diminishing returns. But, God, I want to see Olshay play another season. Just to see whether she keeps up the intensity. Because she's intense in this episode. So, they end up with the 110 euro notes, and have to then run back and pin them to Art's board. Luce thinks that they need to pin two onto each minus 20 euro note to counteract it. Luce is wrong.
1: Where Where did that come from, pinning down two on each one?
0: In her defense, usually with this sort of challenge where you're swapping minus money for real money, it does have to be equal. She misread the rules on this challenge to think that it has to be equal still, but it's not as silly as it may seem.
1: And then they realise they're exactly half of the notes short after they're all pinned down.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And Ruben puts all the notes down thinking they won't blow away, despite, you know, the hailstorm and rainstorm and everything that is affecting them by that point. Because I think this is the point where Art looks like a drowned rat. Ruben is wrong. And with less than two minutes left, Emilio realises they didn't need to double the notes, and they furiously have to try and change them. Time runs out, some of their notes blow away, Art says they're feeling nice, and he doesn't hold the wind against them. They end up earning 860 euros of a possible 1000 for the pot. And he also tells them to dress up nicely, as for the second challenge, they are going out.
1: I think production was nicer to them too, because they're at negative... What was it negative three thousand euros at the start of the episode?
0: You're preempting my next question. Do you think that they were very lenient to to the contestants this week because they earned a lot less money than they anticipated?
1: I think so. I don't think it's too good of a look to have the pot down at negative two thousand. Or if the wind was allowed to be a part of the challenge, they definitely would have been further in the hole
0: because at least half of their notes blew away.
1: Yeah. They would definitely have lost more money and they were at negative three thousand one hundred and sixty going into this challenge.
0: Uh going into this challenge they were at negative three thousand. Coming out of the challenge they were on negative twenty one forty. Yeah, so I
1: don't And they knew the next challenge wasn't was probably not gonna be a success, so I have a feeling they didn't want them down to like negative three thousand two hundred euros going into the second challenge of episode two, possibly stay there. And then a third challenge, depending on what would go on, best they'd probably do is be at negative 2,000 euros. So there is a chance they may not even be in the positives until episode four.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were definitely lenient to them in the third challenge.
1: What's funny though is that after the season, the final pot at the end is always going to be a lot smaller.
0: Yeah, this is the last big pot, I would say. As soon as Rick takes over. The purse strings start tightening a little. By the end of this episode, they could have earned sixteen thousand euros for the pot. As it happens, they haven't. But in theory, they could have earned sixteen thousand euros.
1: Yeah, so I so I think that's a really interesting component too. Is that this season thinking, oh, we got to be more lenient because they have no money, but yet they're going to have a much bigger pot than almost every season after this, <laughs> as of through Czechia. Which didn't even get to 10,000.
0: So while they're getting ready, Ruben offers himself up a bond with Luce. She eventually says yes, she wants a bond, and at the moment she'd like that with him. He can't get a read on her, so he says that it's a way to keep an eye on her. And then in another absolutely fantastic Olshe scene, she, essentially My Fair Lady's Stina <laughs> <laughs> I said this to you earlier, I'd forgotten how funny this subplot is, because this is not the only time that she tries to my Fair Lady Stina, and it's very, very funny all through the season. When you you see Stina looking a little bit kind of dowdy, for want of a better term, and Olcay just being like, seriously? I know I'm a fashion designer and everything, but let me give you a makeover, please.
1: I like how they cut back and forth between Olce doing Stina's hair, putting on stilettos, trying to figure out where a yoker would go in such a tight outfit and then we get cut back and forth between that and the intensity of Lu- Reuben and Luce strategizing.
0: <laughs> and can I also point out, this is less than half the cast that we see between the first and second challenge. We literally stick with these four people.
1: Yeah, we don't see we don't see anyone else's rooms.
0: No, we literally just see Reuben and Luce having appropriately a very loose bond, and we see Olche trying her best to make Steena not look like a bag of shit and also saying, I'm going to wear stilettos to make an entrance.
1: Although it's, I'm surprised they didn't cut to jean Mark's room where he is just quietly reading. He's quietly reading while Jan's getting ready.
0: He's sat in a, uh, a rocking chair just going all work and no play makes jean Mark a bad boy. <laughs> all work <laughs> and no play makes jean Mark a bad boy. So they are taken to the Rustavelli Theatre for a very special performance of Julius Caesar. And something else you wouldn't see Rick do, art is dressed in a tuxedo, and looks like the spy chief that every mole host should aspire to be.
1: We go all in on the spy theme with this challenge, for sure.
0: Yeah, Art has a tuxedo on, and you would never see that with Rick, I would say. The most formal Rick gets is a turtleneck.
1: It's very interesting to see a challenge like this, because we've been in COVID for, well, not mean to date the podcast, but we've been been COVID for about 13 months or so now, or 14 months depending on how you look at it, and to see a challenge where everyone sat together in a very packed theatre really throws you off.
0: Yeah, I know we said this in in some of the Czechia podcasts, but it's really weird to see people in, in close quarters again, and hopefully by the time this episode comes out, there will be at least a little bit of that in the UK. There is kind of a little bit of sunlight on the horizon on that but it's still really weird watching this during COVID times to go, oh, yeah, they're a bit close. That is a super spreader event waiting to happen.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking this doesn't seem safe. Theatre, people performing on stage.
0: So Jean-Marc says he knows the place, so he's happy. They will be divided all over the theatre and given phones, but as it's a theatre performance, they need to keep them on silent so as to not disturb the other patrons, and they can earn up to €2,000 for the pot. And it begins with Jan and Olche, Bella and Emilio, Simona, Ruben and Luce, and Stina and Jean-Marc being in their respective boots. Only their boots are lit up during the performance, and Bella says, seeing as though they didn't know what the challenge was, she started counting everything just in case it was a bit of a memory one. Good strategy. It is, because they know nothing. Let's be honest, they're just sat there going, I can't understand this play, so I need to pay attention to something. Obviously, once Art starts sending his texts out, you go, yeah, I can ignore this now. This is just a bad job.
1: All I could keep thinking during the challenge was, I wonder what it's like to be one of the people wanting to watch this play. And you have Luce going through that creaky as hell door going, <laughs> <laughs> trying to switch places and you can hear probably, you can... I assume you can hear their footsteps in the hall outside the theatre of them running in, especially Olche wearing stilettos. You can probably hear Olche stilettos clicking through the hallways, and you just want to watch some Julius Caesar after a hard week at work.
0: At least one of the um, boxes is very close to, to the stalls as well. So they are very obnoxious during this challenge. Obviously not deliberately, but they're really obnoxious to the actual paying people.
1: And I can tell you, if you're sitting next to somebody, even if their phone is set to silent, even if it's not even on vibrate, when a screen lights up on a phone during a movie or a theatre performance, I always notice.
0: (laughs) It is the absolute worst when people do that. Yeah. So, Art does text the group. He says, Emilia must be in the box to the left of him. Luce must not be in the three-person box. Steena must be in a box higher than Yam. Ruben must not be with Ulce, and they have five minutes to do their swaps. Now, Mr Saunders, you can probably predict what I'm about to say, but this is the sort of challenge that I do something for, and that is try and work out the actual solution. Apparently, by the end of this challenge, only three people in the correct place. I think only two were, because I did work out the correct order, and assuming my camera angles were right, it should have been Steiner and Luce in the top left, then Art in the top middle, Simona and Jean-Marc in the top right, Emilio, Jan and Olche in the bottom left, and Ruben and Bella in the bottom right. Only Stina and Olche were in the correct booths, I think.
1: Interesting. I, I didn't I didn't break it down that much. I'll have to re-watch that challenge myself. I'll get back to you on that for episode three.
0: I did have to go back and just make sure that I was right with that. I'm pretty sure in the correct answers. It's just a little bit hard with the camera angles at the end to actually work out who's in which booth. But I think I'm right on who was in which one. So Jean-Marc and Bella also decide to move even though neither of them were actually mentioned in the text and Stina moves for a second time during the five minutes just because she can. Art sends a second text. Bella must be in a box lower than Simona. Stina must be on the same level but not in the same box as Jean-Marc. Jan must be in one of the boxes to the left of Art and Olche is one of the people in the box of three.
1: I wish that by the end of three texts everyone was back in the exact same position where they started.
0: That would have been very funny. The third text says Simona and Jean-Marc must be in the same box. Luce must be in a box to the left of Art on the same level. Bella can't be in the same box as Olche, and three people must be in one of the lower boxes. Stina says in Confessional she's very impressed with their precision as they all cooperated so well. And then, in something reminiscent of last week's twist, Art disappears and you can see him disappear in the episode but nobody notices it. And then another text appears saying Hello, this is Ron. I've got a chance to come back into the game. I have crucial information about the upcoming test. I will share it with you if you join me in the next 10 minutes. If someone goes to Ron, he joins the group, but if they do that, they will lose the €2,000.
1: So my question is, would they have still done it if it would add €2,000 to the pot?
0: That's tough because we don't know whether they would have done a double elimination. We don't know whether they would have cancelled the eventual non-elimination. As a contestant, you want to eliminate Ron, because if he comes back into the game, that's one more person who you've then got to beat again. As a mole, you want Ron back in the game because it's another person to cover for you. But then, of course, that does have to be balanced with whether you're adding money to the pot or not.
1: Because by not going to Ron, they lose money for this challenge. And I'm thinking, there is zero incentive for anybody to sit next to Ron. It's not enough that it's just crucial information on the next quiz because it's like, well, I don't need crucial information because if I sit next to you, you're added back in the game and that's a disadvantage for me. My advantage is you staying out of the game. That's bigger than getting crucial information on the next quiz.
0: Here's the important thing, though. If I remember correctly, I do know what information Ron had to offer in this challenge. And I think it was who he put his suspicion on in in test one.
1: That's a big reward at the start of the game.
0: Yeah, the information that Ron was offering was basically, here's who I put any questions on in the first test, and you can you can grill me on that. But as a result, you know that, I know that, and I'm back in the game.
1: Yeah, they just didn't give players enough of an incentive to sit next to Ron. I think if they, maybe if they said, 2,000 euros gets added to the pot, you get information on the quiz, but Ron gets added back into the game then I think you have people considering it, but the fact that it's like, well, you lose money if you go to Ron, and he gets added into the game, and when you're at negative 2,160 euros, you're, you're not going to do that.
0: <laughs> Another highlight of this challenge is the fact that, despite the fact that Art told everyone to dress up, some people were not very dressed up. Ron was the pinnacle of that, though, because he was wearing a black bow tie, but also... A very casual jacket. He seemed to be dressed tuxedo casual.
1: Tuxedo casual, I've never heard of that before in my life.
0: That's because I've just made it up. So as a group, they all decide to not save Ron.
1: After crazy sign
0: language. After crazy (laughs) sign language. And as Julius Caesar is stabbed in the play, so Ron is stabbed in the back and actually sent home, this time for real. And to end the €2,000, they all had to be in the right place but only three of them were, meaning nothing of the €2,000 goes into the pot.
1: Just like how crazy everyone's eyes were during the challenge, like in gesture, look, 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 there's Ron! (laughs) Wait, I switch? Me, you, you, me, you, me? It's like Night at the Roxbury.
0: It's the ghost of Moscow Past.
1: (laughs) Ghost of Moscow Past, yes.
0: Because in the right light, Ron actually would look like a a ghoul, let's be honest. (laughs)
1: Ooh... I've come to haunt your dreams. It's nightmare on Ron Street.
0: I miss Ron already. We've only had like eight episodes total of him, but I miss him.
1: <laughs> I like how he gets a proper goodbye from Art this time though.
0: Yeah, I had that written down. He actually gets a proper a proper goodbye from Art and gets to gets to shake his hands, even though Art's only, let's be honest, met him about ten minutes by that point. He
1: didn't even get to sit with Art Art and Ron didn't even get to sit with each other. They had to swap. (laughs) Hi. Bye. Did you have a great time in the game? Or the only person who ever sat next to you was loose?
0: The other fun bit of this is the fact that in the lobby, they have a proper argument about not saving Ron. When they realized they wouldn't have earned any money anyway, a lot of people have regret for not saving Ron.
1: I think they just feel bad that Ron was in it for two episodes and only got to see one contestant and zero hosts the whole time.
0: So, on day three, they're still in Tbilisi. They discuss over breakfast what happened with Ron. Everyone seems to be in agreement that it's painful that they did it, but why should Ron get to come back and potentially steal their spot in the game? That's going to come to fruition very soon. (laughs) Imagine if they brought Ron back as a result of Jean-Marc quitting. Oh, that would have been delicious. The guy who's been executed twice gets a third chance at the game. And they are taken to McGamlow, a quarry, for the final assignment of the episode. If they try their best, they could actually get into the black in this challenge. All they have to do is clear a path of gravel for Arts Lada to reach the finish line 50 metres away. For every 10 metres that they clear, they will get 500 euros for the pots, and if they complete the entire route, they will get a bonus 500 euros. They are given three diggers to clear the way, as well as smaller machinery, and they have 90 minutes. Jean-Marc is confused by the debate, not just because he doesn't know he's left from his right and he's up from his down. He decides not to do the challenge, and Yan is appointed as team leader.
1: Screw you guys, I'm going home.
0: Fuck this shit, I'm out. No thanks. And Yan's plan is to use the big ones to clear a lot of gravel, and the little ones to shift what has been moved by the big ones. Bella says she finds the driving simple as she's a gamer. Ruben says it's hard in the beginning as none of them drive these diggers in real life. They need to be mindful of each other's space and not get in the way. Olche follows Jan's lead and gets herself a bit stuck. And Jan says he's trying to be positive to gear everyone up. And Olche learns that despite them looking ridiculous, you need the little people to survive. Which is another brilliant Olche quote. She also needs a bathroom break about half an hour before the end and threatens to piss herself in a digger. Simona tries shouting to her, but she's already wandered off to find the bathroom. Lucy's digger runs out of battery, so she's stuck. Ruben then tries to mount a mutiny, as he's a little bit critical of Jan's plan and has strange ideas, hence why he's high on Jan's list, and Jan decides to take back control. Emilio also accuses Jan of being a bit useless, of placing him basically in an unhelpful place, and moves himself to the middle.
1: And Simone can't hear the difference between Lewis's voice and Olche's voice.
0: I think up close and personal, you definitely know which one was speaking. Over heavy machinery, not so much. Heavy machinery is the one thing that you cannot hear Olche Gilson's voice over.
1: It's her kryptonite.
0: There's one more thing this season, I think, that you can't hear her voice over, but I think there's only actually two <laughs> in the entire season. Simona says it feels like everyone's working together. And with six minutes left, Luce still has trouble with her digger stalling, which Alche finds suspicious. When the time ends, Art starts his larder and reaches twenty-nine point six meters. But because he slash producers are feeling nice, they will round it up, meaning they earn fifteen hundred euros or a possible three thousand for the pots. And he promises that soon he'll be able to actually give them more money, but not yet and it means that they are on 2,360 euros of possible 6,000 for the episode, and minus 640 of 16,000 for the season so far.
1: They were very generous rounding it up for them.
0: Yeah, they really were. On any other season, I don't think they would have uh, they would have had that rounded up.
1: I think it's just because they're in negative money.
0: <laughs> I think so too. I I think the mole was slightly too efficient for what producers planned for this point of the season, and they're like, yeah, we really need to actually get them... Earning some money by episode three, preferably, and I actually can't remember whether they get out of the out of the red in episode three. I remember it being quite close.
1: Yeah, I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head either. I do like how much suspicion is pinned on Ruben at every challenge this episode, because he gets blamed for not tacking down the notes to save it from the wind. But that didn't matter anyway because production said, "Ah, nah, whatever, the wind, whatever." Well. We'll let that go. And then this challenge, he's fighting with Yan over directions. And everyone's blaming Ruben for the conflict. And then, oh, they're just short with the 29 meters and 60 centimeters. Nah, whatever. It doesn't matter. Production's going to round it up to 30 and give them the 1500 euros.
0: <laughs> yeah. Ruben, I'm looking at my list now. Ruben was dead middle on my list.
1: Probably because he's a bit too front and center at this point.
0: Yeah. I never really suspected him, but I never really discounted him by this point. So, it is now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least is out of the game except for the mole who can never go home. Steena, Emilio, Simona and Bella all have yokers. They are in the National Library for the test. Olche thinks that she will suck on her first test. She doesn't have a mole book and struggles to remember things, so she plans on playing with logical sense She's not putting everything on one person, she's spreading on multiple people, not that we know who that is. Jan suspects Ruben, he says that he's such a nice guy, that he seems so harmless, but maybe that's good to cover as a mole. Ruben says he's going to spread wide, he doesn't know about Emilio or Ulce, Simona or Luce. He wants to trust Luce, and on some level he does, but some things she does are a little bit confusing. Luce is spreading over four people, Stina, Emilio, Ulce, and Simona, Simona spreads over Jan, Ruben, Luce, and Stina. Emilio says Bella doesn't do much. She's brought nothing in, but a lot of people didn't. She's playing along, but during the assignments, she just messes about a bit. Bella suspects as She's intelligent, but she's a bit of a space cadet in assignments. And Stina thinks that the mole is keeping quiet. They don't have to do anything in this group and are just being a quiet leader. In a weird bit of survivor-esque comparing people to animals, we see a dead wasp before Art actually appears. And Art then announces Jean-Marc has quit the game as he basically developed insomnia, thanks to the stress of being around a mole. The rest of them are through to round three, and he says in confessional he didn't even sleep for the first three nights.
1: This is a longer recap than the first episode.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes it was. I'm looking at the clock and trying to rattle through the the bits that we've already talked about in a lot of detail. Next time, the final eight have choices to make in the mountains before Ruben gets chased by cars, and Yang goes paragliding before someone finally sees one of Art's red screens.
1: And we have another 20-minute discussion about Sean Mark.
0: <laughs> Fuck that shit, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks! Yeah, so, as you might have guessed from our recap, this is a much more fun episode for us to talk about. If we'd actually done the premiere at the time, I think we would have had a lot to talk about with that twist, but this is a much more R-style episode, I would say. Indeed. Have you got anything else you want to say about the episode before we start discussing what the mole actually did?
1: No, I'm ready to jump into that segment.
0: Awesome. So, thank you for listening to our Vista Mole 2018 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for another old mole in Georgia. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are, rtbwarriors, or you can email us and contact us at rtbwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at logspakwaki, and I am MJ Harmstone. Thank you, as always, to Marika for the subtitles, and we'll see you next week. Please stay tuned for what the mole actually did.
1: Peace out and just chill till the next to Flavoring.
0: So what did the mole do, Mr Saunders? Uh,
1: I can't remember specifically, but I'm going to guess... Uh... I I guess he was a big part of the sabotages in the third challenge.
0: One thing I can definitely remember him doing is very much cheerleading when Luce said, yeah, we need to double up those notes at the market. That is definitely one of his sabotages at the end, where he's like, ah, these fuckers. They actually spotted it before the time ran out. That's annoying. Yeah.
1: Because I noticed that when they were clipping the notes and he was trying to hog as many of the notes as possible.
0: Yeah, he was. And he was deliberately pinning multiple notes on the same one, but also not pinning certain ones, so they then flew away. Yeah. In the second challenge, he obviously wasn't going to be doing much, because you don't need to do much as long as one person messes up, which they would, or gets run back. They're not winning the €2,000. He obviously took a lot of control in the third challenge, maybe steered them towards getting a bit of money, because... It's no fun to have two episodes where they're still in the red. But I think if they were a little bit more efficient, they probably could have got to to €2,000 on that challenge.
1: But yeah, he definitely was... I mean, there were some inefficient directions given, which is why Ruben was trying to become the de facto leader.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And seeing as though we are going to do this for, um, for this season, my order on the suspect list this week was Emilio Luce, Yan, Ruben, Alche, Simona, Bella, and Stina.
1: Wish I had like my list of suspects somewhere. I could have sworn they were in a notepad, documents.
0: Maybe you should dig them out at some point, because I I have mine written down. Thanks to uh, thanks to Dan Peek. So, if you get anything else you want to say about Yan as a mole this week, he he obviously didn't do nearly as much as he did last week, but. Well, I
1: mean, he was able to get himself... I mean, clearly people trust him if they were willing to elect him leader in the second episode. Yeah.
0: More fool them.